Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Did the early church fathers believe that humans could become gods? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Last week we began a series looking at the Gospel Topics essay titled Becoming Like God. It is posted on the official Mormon website, lds.org. It was posted on February 24th, 2014. And Bill, we also have on our website, mrm.org, if you go to the articles and go to Gospel Topics Essays, we do have a written response to this, and some of the same quotes that we're giving on this radio program also are going to be found there if you'd like to do more research. And certainly if you have not heard last week's broadcast, you will want to listen to those because we do cover much of the first part of this essay in which they give a lot of alleged proof text supposedly supporting their view. And when we look at those verses in context, they certainly are not saying what the Mormons want you to believe they are saying. Today, however, we are looking at the question as I started the show off, did the early church fathers teach that men could become gods? And this is going to deal with the subject of theosis. It's a doctrine that we see prominent in Eastern Orthodoxy, not so much in the Western church under the question, how have ideas about divinity shifted over Christian history? It reads, Latter-day Saint beliefs would have sounded more familiar to the earliest generations of Christians than they do to many modern Christians. Many church fathers, influential theologians and teachers in early Christianity, spoke approvingly of the idea that humans can become divine. One modern scholar refers to the, quote, ubiquity of the doctrine of deification, end quote, the teaching that humans could become God in the first centuries after Christ's death. The church father, Irenaeus, who died about A.D. 202, asserted that Jesus Christ, quote, did through his transcendent love become what we are, that he might bring us to be what he is himself, end quote. Clement of Alexandria, around A.D. 150 to 215, wrote that the word of God became man, that thou mayest learn from man how man may become God. Basil the Great, from 330 to 379, also celebrated this prospect, not just being made like to God, but highest of all, the being made God. Now let's go back to that first sentence there. Latter-day Saint beliefs would have sounded more familiar to the earliest generations of Christians than they do to many modern Christians. Wow. Let me just argue that the only way that sentence could even come close to being truthful is if the Mormon view of men becoming gods is accurate. And it's not. What they are doing in this particular case, and they've done it on numerous occasions, this is not the first time that the Mormon church has come out with a publication misusing statements from some of the early church fathers to make it appear that they believe that men could become gods like Mormons believe they can become gods. The fact is, folks, that is just not true. And it's unfortunate 
that Mormon scholars and essays such as this keep perpetuating this outright myth that somehow Irenaeus was an ancient Mormon when it came to the idea of deification. That is just not true. And I wish more people would call him on this, and fortunately, some have. In fact, there was a book written a while back called Mormon America by Richard and Joan Osling. It was not to be an intentional polemic. It was supposed to be an overview of Mormon teachings. I thought the Oslings did a pretty good job in explaining what Mormonism is all about. But in the book, they devote several pages to the subject of theosis. And folks, this isn't the first time we've talked about it, but because this is in the essay, we need to address this again. It needs to be emphasized. When you hear Mormons try to tell you that early church fathers believed like they do when it comes to deification, you can clearly show them that that is not a fact. And we have to answer the question, when exactly did the great apostasy take place? That Mormonism says that all the authority died, and yet here we're quoting men from the 2nd and even the 4th centuries. Basil the Great comes from the 4th century. If Christianity has died, there is no authority left anymore, then what good is quoting men like these? And you're absolutely correct, Eric. If you're going to say that there was a great apostasy after the death of the apostles, how can a Mormon know for sure that perhaps these teachings that they like to point to weren't a part of that great apostasy? I mean, Basil the Great wasn't even born until after the Council of Nicaea, but I don't see them quoting from Athanasius, for instance. No, but let's look at some of the statements that were made in the Ossling's book, Mormon America, dealing with this subject of theosis. And this starts on page 310 in the middle of their book on this chapter. It says, The New Testament LDS proof text used in support for deification is Matthew 5:48. quote, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And we discussed that verse last week because that certainly is a part of the list when it comes to various verses that the Mormon scholar, whoever put this paper together, and we don't even know who it is or how many people were involved in it, but that certainly is one of the verses that they have used is Matthew 5.48. The chapter goes on and says, Mormons interpret this as New Testament foundation for exaltation in eternal progression. Their writers, such as the BYU professors Daniel C. Peterson and Stephen D. Ricks in a 1988 issue of Ensign, often express a kinship to Eastern Orthodoxy in that branch of Christendom's use of that term, deification. Peterson and Ricks trace deification to such early church fathers as Irenaeus, 2nd century AD, and to the notion of theosis, which is very much alive in the Greek and Russian Orthodox churches. The next line, I think, is telling, though. The next paragraph on page 310 of Mormon America says, The embrace, however, is one way. How much more emphasis do we really need to give this? The embrace is only one way. In other words, no Eastern Orthodox scholar is going to say that they believe like Mormons. Even though Mormons are saying they believe like the Eastern Orthodox, it's not going both ways. It doesn't reciprocate here. It goes on and says, The Eastern Orthodox tradition is also firmly rooted in a distinction of kind rather than of degree between man and God. Quote, The idea of deification must always be understood in the light of the distinction between God's essence and his energies. Union with God means union with the divine energies, 
not the divine essence, end quote, writes Timothy Ware, Bishop Ware, Spalding Lecturer in Orthodox Studies at Oxford University in the Orthodox Church. Then he continues quoting him and saying, The human being does not become God by nature, but is merely a created God, a God by grace or by status. If that's what Timothy Ware is saying, and he represents an Eastern Orthodox view, and the Mormons are going to say that their God was once a man, who's the offspring of a God, who was once a man, that infinite regression of God. Well, if you're going to say that Elohim certainly is God by nature, a Mormon believing that is also going to become God by nature. If they aren't going to become God by nature, then how do they know Elohim is God by nature? Mm. They, They would never argue against that. But here's what Bishop Ware says. It is clear to me that C.S. Lewis understands the doctrine of theosis. And the reason why C.S. Lewis is brought up is because Mormons have also dropped his name when it comes to this teaching. And so he's addressing C.S. Lewis's name being in the mix. It is clear to me that C.S. Lewis understands the doctrine of theosis in essentially the same way as the Orthodox Church does. Indeed, he probably derived his viewpoint from reading such Greek fathers as Athanasius. On the other hand, the Mormon view is altogether different from what Lewis and the Orthodox Church believes. Now, this is an Eastern Orthodox scholar who is saying this, and he says they have nothing in common. He goes on to say in that paragraph, Orthodox theology emphasizes that there is a clear distinction in the current phraseology, quote, unquote, an ontological gap between God the creator and the creation which he has made. This gap is bridged by divine love supremely through the incarnation, but it is not abolished. The distinction between the uncreated and the created still remains. The incarnation is a unique event. Deification, Ware says, on the orthodox understanding, is to be interpreted in terms of the distinction between the divine essence and the divine energies. Human beings share by God's mercy in his energies, but not in his essence, either in the present age or in the age to come. That is to say, In theosis, the saints participate in the grace, power, and glory of God, but they never become God by essence. That is certainly not what Mormons believe or have taught since this doctrine came about in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I would maintain to you listeners, it is dishonest for the Mormon Church to keep perpetuating this myth. That is not what the Eastern Orthodox Church believes on this matter. And To see them continually bring this up, even in this official paper, Becoming Like God, that is certainly supported by the leadership in the church, I think is just horrible. On page 313, the Oslings talk about Irenaeus that is quoted in the essay. And it says, Irenaeus, 2nd century AD, also writes that God is uniquely self-existent, the one who created ex nihilo. Quote, the rule of truth which we hold is that there is one God Almighty who made all things by his word and fashioned and formed out of that which had no existence all things which exist, end quote. God, quote, commands all things into existence, end quote. Irenaeus teaches that 
God is always the same and unbegotten. He stresses that in all things, God has the preeminence who alone is uncreated, the first of all things, and the primary cause of the existence of all, being in subjection to God, is continuance in immortality, and immortality is the glory of the uncreated one. But man remains a contingent creature. He does not in essence become God, and God in the patristics writings has never been a man. Technically, the Mormons couldn't even agree to that without tweaking what they mean by it, because in Mormonism, all of us are eternal beings. Again, we have to go back to the definitions of the words being used. The Mormons that support this kind of a view certainly did not seem to take the time to see exactly or to understand exactly what the early church fathers were teaching on this issue, or even what the Orthodox Church believes on it now. Or do they? Or did this scholar who wrote this essay, whoever it is, however many people that were involved, because in the next line, in the next paragraph, it says, what exactly the early church fathers meant when they spoke of becoming gods is open to interpretation. Yeah. Obviously, someone has read something to show that they may not have agreed quite the way Mormons say they do. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. Pastor, could your congregation benefit from a presentation that explains the differences between Mormonism and New Testament Christianity? MRM's Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson would be honored to come to your church. Whether it's a single crash course or a weekend symposium, hundreds of churches have benefited from their fully documented and easy-to-understand PowerPoint presentations. If you'd like to schedule MRM at your church, simply write us at contact at mrm.org. Again, that's contact at mrm.org. Dot org.